We are in the book of John, and we've been looking through these miracles that, that Jesus performs. And, and as we look at the miracle today, I want to ask this question. I want you to think with me about it. How does God mature his people? How does God mature his people? Now, I've got a, a hydrangea at home. I bought it for my wife. She likes hydrangeas when we were married. We had blue hydrangeas. If you don't know, they're the, the flowers that look like a little bush. They're cute and pretty and apparently very um, uh, difficult to, <laughs> to keep alive. I've been trying really hard to keep these hydrangea alive. I've been watering them, but not too much. I don't know. There's not really, they don't talk back, so I, I do my best, but they've slowly begun to uh, the leaves are, are slowly becoming brittle, and, and some of the, the flowers are dying. So I, I think that the hydrangea is trying to keep in there with me. I think we're both in agreement that this is a hard process. The hydrangea can't, doesn't have very good communication skills, and I don't have very good husbandry skills as it relates to, to gardening. I, I don't know how to keep this, uh, this plant and, and mature it and grow it. Now, if you're like me, you can be thankful that God knows what he's doing. Amen? He knows how to mature his people. And, and if we, if we can, can kind of tag into that, if we can connect to what God has to say about how he matures his people, then we can be a part of that process. Amen? Well, last week we encountered Jesus feeding 5,000 men, probably around 20,000 people, miraculous taking, miraculously taking this Lunchable from this kid, blessing it in the name of his father, blessing uh, his father for his his goodness, and then distributing it with the result that everyone ate to their fill and the disciples gathered 12 baskets. Now, if you were to continue reading in this chapter, you find out that, that uh, Jesus and the disciples go over to the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee. And what does this crowd do but say, hey, that was a great lunch. Let's go get some more. And so we find out that they actually follow Jesus and they begin to talk to him, and it's this funny conversation. I don't know if you've ever had this with your kids where they kind of, um, they're like, I, I, don't have, I don't have any candy. And it's this, what? I don't, I don't have any candy. And, and the conversation is basically, it moves from that to, can I please have this? And with the crowd, they begin to say, you know, we need, to, we need more from you, Jesus. And so he begins to talk, and, and they're like, well, how do you prove it? With a sign, specifically a sign involving lunch. And so Jesus looks at them and begins to give them actually what, what is a hard teaching. You see, Jesus is interested in, in more than just their, their physical needs and, and meeting their, their need for physical sustenance, but he came to address their spiritual needs. And so he has this discourse called the bread of life discourse where he begins to talk about how I am the bread of life. You guys are seeking material things, material gifts, material possessions, but there is something greater here. And he, he offers himself and he says, you know, if you really want to partake of me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And like good Jewish people, they say, no thanks. We don't do that. That's weird. And they don't, they don't see the spiritual reality that he's, he's speaking to. And so... When they, when they hear this, when they find out that they're not going to get a free lunch and that, in fact, Jesus is going to call them up to something that's even more challenging, what do they do but disperse? They leave. At this point in John chapter 6, verses 60, verse 67, it says that Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away 
as well. There are going to be moments in your life as you're following Jesus Christ where you might even hear him say, maybe uh, not, not audibly, but there will be a, a, a question. Do you want to leave as well? Are you willing to follow me despite this? And what does Simon Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know you and you are the Holy One of God. Really amazing response, right? Peter, he, he's always swinging hard. Sometimes it's, he, he, he lands it and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Other times he doesn't and it's terrible. But here he lands it and he says, where else are we going to go, Jesus? And he, and he says this, you are the Holy One of God. Now, what's interesting is that Peter and the disciples had witnessed the same miracle. They had witnessed Jesus do this. They heard him say this hard teaching, and yet Peter responds differently than the crowd. And so the question is, what, what distinguishes Peter and the disciples from the rest of the crowd? And if you look at this, at this chapter, there's this interesting thing that we're going to look at you have the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and then you have this bread of life discourse that I'm talking about. And sandwiched in between those two is a storm. And the crowd had not gone through the storm. What distinguishes people is whether or not they have labored through the storm with their Lord. What matures the people of God are the storms that he brings them through. So let's stand together as we prepare to read God's word. <clears throat> We're reading out of John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, to got into the boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near to the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, you that you have a desire to mature your people. That it is your desire not just to uh, wrest us out of the hands of the enemy, not just to just save us from the consequences of our sin and, and, and the punishment that is hell, but it is your desire to conform us to the image of your Son. It is your desire to restore us to the purpose for which we were made, being those who reflect your glory. God, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but like a good father, you bring discipline to our lives. And Father, I pray that as we consider in our own lives the various storms that we're facing, many of which we've not uh, brought ourselves into because of our own poor decisions, but have been brought upon us, God, would you help us to shift our focus to see Jesus in the storm? And God, would we not, I pray that we would not be so quick to escape, but that we would seek not, not just deliverance, but uh, our deliverer, 
Lord, if, if it possible, take us out of the storm. But either way, God, I pray that we would be a people who, who cling closely to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister spiritual sight so that we might see Jesus and that our vision of Jesus would be greater than our vision of our problems. That we would see Jesus and that Jesus would be bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our storms, bigger than our fears. God, build our faith in this moment so that like Peter, we can say, you are the Holy One. You are the Holy One of God. To whom else will we go? Minister, we pray, that we might become more like you, Jesus. That we might be a people who more greatly glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. You did great. I have a Bible that is Anglicanized. It comes from uh, the UK, and so it says lake. I apologize. You said sea, I said lake. We're talking about the same place. You did wonderfully. In life, as Christians, as those who follow Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that you are going to be led into storms in order that you might be lost in the storm, ultimately to meet the Lord of the storm. You will be led into storms and then lost in those storms in order to meet the Lord of the storm. If you, if you have lived any length of time beyond your 20s, you begin to bump up against this weird reality that sometimes you get in these sticky situations that are not your fault and that God doesn't fix. And you're like, wait a second, pretty sure that God was supposed to fix this problem because I didn't make it. But you find yourself in this painful situation where someone else has done something wrong to you, something bad goes wrong at work, something goes bad in your, in your body, and, and you're saying to yourself, I trusted you, Jesus, why am I in this storm? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. The disciples were led into a storm. They're in this terrible storm in the Sea of Galilee. The, the, if you study it all about this area, it's really interesting, it's this lake. It's a huge lake. It's, a, uh, it's about six, six um, not feet, miles uh, wide by 15. So it's, it's big, but it's not huge. But it's surrounded by these high cliffs that create this, this tunnel. You know, I went to Chicago a, a number of years back with, when I was a youth pastor, and we went to go see a, a Sox game, and, and we were in the stadium, and I came from Virginia. I think I had a hoodie or something. I don't know. I was a youth pastor, so I was always wearing a hoodie. And, um, and that was all I had. And it was so cold. It was just unbearably cold. Because we, in the stadium, all of Chicago, the windy city, we were just like, we're riding the waves. I mean, if I had had a kite, I could have taken flight. It was so windy. And that's the Sea of Galilee. It, it just has this thing where, where the wind blows into the, into the, the lake. And, and because of the changes in temperature, see, the, there are crazy storms. And so the disciples are in one of these crazy storms 
Uh, and, and some of them are seasoned sailors, and, and maybe Peter's there trying to, to take control, and he's saying, okay, guys, put down the sails. You know, we're going to grab the oars. We're going we're gonna to go the direction we're supposed to go, and they're like, like strong men. They are rowing against the wind, rowing against the waves, and if you've ever rowed against anything, uh, it's hard. I, I mean, I've gone kayaking on the sound in the Outer Banks, and, and when it starts to, to uh, blow, it, it becomes very difficult, and, and you have this thing where you know, you really want to go with the waves, but you're beginning to be pushed against the waves. And, and so you have this thing where you go up and then you slam down. And you go up and slam down. And it's, and it's terrifying at the Outer Banks on the sound where if I fall out, I, I will just stand up and it'll be up to here and I'm okay unless there are scary animals under the water. But there aren't that many. But they're in this deep sea and they're going against the waves. And... I wonder how many of them thought to themselves, why am I here? And, and certainly as, as those of us who are watching this, who are reading about this, we ask the question, why are they there? And the answer is in Matthew. This is a, an account that you can read out of Matthew chapter 14 and Mark verse, uh, chapter 6. So it's a, it's a parallel story, same story told from three different perspectives, but in, in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew gives us a little bit more clarity as to why they're there. It says in verse 22, immediately Jesus, after, after they had fed the 5,000, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus was going to go, he was going to dismiss the crowd, he said, you guys get on the boat, go on the other side, I'll dismiss the crowd, and then he goes up on the mountain to be with God. To spend some time alone, he has, he's done a great deal of ministry, and he's going to pray. It's interesting, he goes, and Jesus goes to pray. And so the disciples are there precisely because they had obeyed God. God will lead you into storms. God will lead you into storms. Sometimes our confusion in the Christian life, in this, this life of trying to be obedient to God comes across, because not because we don't have all the right answers, but because we have the wrong presuppositions. We come into this thinking, okay, if I follow Jesus, life is going to be X. If I follow Jesus, life, it's going to be, it's going to be easy. Or if I follow Jesus, certainly he's not going to uh, allow me to get sick. Life is, I'm going to follow Jesus, and so certainly uh, he's not going to you know, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to raise my kids up, I'm going to have them read the Bible in the mornings every day, and, and certainly they're going to go and, and go in the way that, that they've been trained. And then when they go left, you're like, what's going on here? When things go poorly, you, you, you're asking yourself, God, what, what's going on here? I was being obedient. I was doing what, what I was told. Sometimes your difficult circumstances are not an indication of a, the disapproval of the Lord. Can I just encourage someone in this room? Sometimes your difficult circumstances are not an indication of the, the disapproval of the Lord. Things are hard. Oh, God must be angry at me. No. No, we don't, sit, we don't serve a vindictive God. We serve a just God, and we serve a good Father. So he does punish evil, and he does train his children but that does not mean that every time things go poorly in your life, that God is angry at you. The disciples are there specifically 
because he has led them into a storm. If you're not, if you're not certain of that, link, think of the life of Joseph. If you're not familiar, Joseph was one of the, the children of, of um, Jacob, one of the 12, and, and he is he's a loved, he's a big, uh, he's kind of the, the mascot of the, the family. No, they hate him. The, the brothers hate him. And not the kind of hate that, that I think most brothers participate in in life here where it's like, I'm going to punch you, I want to punch you, and, you know, well, I just, I set your clothes on fire, and like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, cool. No, they, they sell him into slavery. Uh, they, they had a plan to, to kill him, but they sell him into slavery. They, they did not like him. Now, Joseph was a lot of things, but he was not deserving that. He was, he was a bit of a brat, but that doesn't mean that he deserved that or that his behavior brought that into his life. He was taken into a storm. And not only was he taken into the storm, as he reflects on it in, in, in Genesis chapter 50, his father has died. He's brought everyone safely to Egypt. He's, he's now in charge of a lot of things, and, and he has saved his family. And his brothers are freaking out, and they, they tell him, you know what dad said, don't get angry at us course. And so he responds and he says in chapter 50 verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now what it doesn't say there is that, you know what, God, he figured it out. You know, he had a meeting, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we said, how are we going to fix this problem? No, it says God meant, he had a purpose in Joseph's storm. You could look at David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. David, who will become the king, the, the one after God's own heart, the one who would um, do so many things on behalf of God. He's, he's met by Samuel and, and anointed. And you can hear these lovely words. Uh, chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. Uh, and he sent, talking about uh, David's father sent and brought David in. Now he was ruddy and, and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, talking to, to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Samuel anoints him as king, which sounds good, except that Saul is still ruling. Now, I don't know about you, but if you found out as king that someone else had just been anointed as king in your kingdom, you might, you might have a problem with that, right? And we find out as you read Samuel that, that Saul does have a problem with that. And so David is thrust into a number of different storms. I could talk about others. I could talk about Jeremiah, who's called and commissioned to, to prophesy against Judah, but isn't heard or listened to. But I think the most important example is Jesus himself. It says in, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is at Pentecost, and, and Peter is preaching the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit has fallen. They've been speaking in tongues. There are some who are making jokes and saying, these guys are drunk. And he says, we're not drunk. They're not drunk. This is what's happening. This is the, the prophecies of Joel are being fulfilled. God is moving. His Holy Spirit has fallen. And it says this, 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. In your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What does he say? You crucified Jesus. But was that outside the will of God? No, it says that he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus himself willingly looked forward at the storm and said, I'm going in. They were led into a storm. And because of that, they were lost in the storm. They were legitimately frightened. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to put it, you know, like a balance sheet and, and ask ourselves, what's going on here? And, and we talk to people around us and, and sometimes people in a, in a well-meaning way, they try to rationalize it like it's not as big of a deal as it is. Oh, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, cancer's not that bad. And you're like, are we talking about the same thing? Oh, it's okay. Your kid's probably not that far gone. It, they'll, they'll, it's not that big of a deal what they're doing. And you're like, it is a big deal what they're doing. It is a big deal what's going on. Well, that thing at work, it's, it's going to be okay. Everyone kind of goes through this. And, and, and so people try, rather than dealing with the reality of the situation, they try to minimize it or make it something that it's not. The, the disciples were in a legitimately frightening place. They were a long way from the shore, the word says. They were, they were rowing against the storm. They were tired and exhausted. They'd made little progress, but they were somewhere in the middle of, they couldn't turn back. They were in the middle of, of, this, of this lake, of this sea. It says uh, in uh, either Matthew or Mark that they were making little progress in the fourth watch of the night. So it's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They were exhausted and they were tired. Are you exhausted? Are you tired? Have you been laboring to obey God? Have you been trying and just, just walking and walking and walking and, and, and moving in such a way that you feel like you're trying to obey God, but you're making no progress? And it doesn't make any sense because you're doing all the things. You're reading your Bible. Pastor D says, read my Bible. I got a reading plan. I'm reading the thing. I'm being faithful. I'm praying I'm in a small group, I'm, I'm in community, I'm, I'm letting people know what's going on in my life, I'm not, I'm not holding back, I'm sharing, I'm praying for them, I'm being faithful at work, I'm walking in integrity, and things are still just so hard. They were lost. And they were frightened. And then they see Jesus. It says that they were frightened. It's interesting, though, that... They weren't just frightened, as it says here, they were frightened of Jesus. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, the, the parallel account, Mark tells us why they were frightened. That rather than seeing Jesus, they see a ghost. It says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. I mean, I get it. <laughs> you know, the general rules of operation, humans don't walk on water, right? If you saw someone walk on water, you might, during the day, you might be like, oh, that's, what do they have? Like, is there a pump or like, they have really cool shoes? 
But if it were in the middle of a storm and like everything's going bad and you're hearing lightning and, and, and you're, you know, your animal brain is just freaking out and uh, you got all this adrenaline and then you see, you see some guy walking on the storm. And, and sometimes when we think about this, we're, we think, okay, I'm in the storm, but Jesus was clearly, he was walking on, on, on calm. But I don't think so. I think he was like, I don't know, like imagine Healy's, like he's just on the waves and, and he's walking as the waves are going up and so it's chaotic and he's, but, but he's calmly walking as the, the sea crashes down and the waves crash down and they're freaking out. This guy's, what is this demon? They were afraid. Their focus on their situation and their lack of faith had distorted their view of Jesus. Because they were so overwhelmed with their circumstance, they didn't recognize him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you can't almost hear their sub- subconscious saying, that, that can't be human. That's not a human, right? Their, their, their schema, the way they, they, the grid of understanding reality, they're, they're saying, okay, what is that? It's not an animal. It's not human. It can't be human because humans don't walk on water. What? Oh, that clearly has to be some sort of spiritual demonic force. Right? That's the category that, boom, 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 that comes up. What's interesting is that this wasn't even the first time that they had encountered a storm at Jesus' command. If you were to look at Mark, Mark tells of another storm that they went through, and the only difference was that Jesus was in the boat. He was in the boat, he was under, he was sleeping, and they were, they were legitimately freaking out in that one too. They're like, Jesus, wake up! What's going on? Don't you know we're going to die? You know, having this very visceral prayer moment. Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. But in this case, Jesus is not in the boat, and so they're like, well, Jesus is not in the boat, so it is okay for us to freak out now. They had forgotten. God is willing to get you into the boat as many times as it takes for you to learn to see him and to trust him. Good news, bad news. (laughs) It's good news because God doesn't give up on us. It's bad news because God doesn't give up on us. Have you ever looked at your life and you just, you're like, I feel like I've been here before, but it still hurts. I feel like I've, I've done this before, right? This is deja vu, but not in the fun way. You know, the memory is a, is a wound memory. It's a pain memory. And, and maybe, maybe God is trying to get you to see him in the moment. Maybe the goal in that moment isn't just deliverance, but the deliverer. God wants to get his people beyond a desire to be delivered. The the Israelites were not just delivered so they might not be slaves in Egypt. They were delivered into something. So they might be a nation that could be a nation that would, would glorify God among the nations. Abraham was intended to be a blessing, not just to his family, but to all the families of God, all the families of the earth. God intends in your storm to bring you to a place where you're not just appreciative of having been saved, but you're appreciative of the Savior. They were frightened, but Jesus was in control. He was Lord over the storm. Jesus utters these words and sets everything right. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Man, I, I imagine he had to say it kind of, it is I, do not be afraid. But everything changes in that moment. 
Now, it says in, in John's account that they were glad to take him on the boat, and immediately they, they get on the boat and, and they land where they're going. But there's, there's clearly a, a settling that happens. They're not just glad, but, but things change because Jesus says these two things. The first thing he says is, it is I. Now, in the, in the original language, the, the literal translation would be, I am. Commentators are split over whether Jesus is just saying, hey, it's me, it is I, because that's legitimate. You can say ego and me, and that would mean I'm here, it's me. But as, as many of us know, that phrase I am has some, some theological significance, right? In, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when, when God passes by Moses, when, when Moses has an opportunity to glimpse at the glory of God, he says, I am. I am who I am. Yahweh, that, that's the reason we have the name Yahweh. So it's, it's, it's entirely possible that, that John is, is keying in on the fact that Jesus is, is I am. He's Yahweh. He's God. And in fact, in John chapter 6, 35, John 8, 12, John uh, 8, 58, John 10, 14, John 11, 25, John 14, 6, Jesus talks about being the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham I was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said it quickly so that you might get a sense of the impact of that phrase, I am. If you, if you want those references, I can give them to you after the service. Or you can just read through John and you can see them. So whether John is specifically, or whether Jesus is specifically trying to make the connection or not, the reality is that the disciples take heart because Jesus, the one whom they've seen calm the sea, the one who John says is the word who was with God and who was God, that Jesus has come walking on water to the disciples' aid. It wasn't just that there was a guy who was really cool and he had some neat water shoes who was going to get in the boat, right? They didn't need one more guy to get in the boat. They needed God. And I understand, many of you, that's where you are. You don't just need a technique. You don't need five ways to a better life. You don't need um, a tweak. You don't need a human solution. You need God. And the good news is God is able and he is with you. And so because it is him, because he says it is I, he says do not be afraid Notice that he identifies himself before he says, don't be afraid. The, their, their circumstances are legitimately concerning, right? They're not looking at them, their, themselves and, and Jesus and saying, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's not that big of a deal. No, he's saying it's a big deal. But what is bigger is Jesus. Jesus is a bigger deal. What difficult situation are you facing today? What fears and anxieties have risen up in your heart and, and, and vying for attention in your life. Jesus is near to you now and invites you to let him trust him. Invites you to trust him. So when Jesus came, the storm was stilled. Again, from, from the disciples' perspective, they were finally saved. Whew, that, was, that was tough. But I want you to understand that Jesus determined how long the storm would last. Jesus had determined, had determined how long the storm would last. 
Jesus had determined how much the disciples would toil in this trial. Jesus had determined what this salvation would look like. And you may be in the middle of it. And you don't have the answer. You don't know how long this is going to last. You don't know for how long you're going to have to pray and pray and pray and pray. You don't know how long you're going to have to, to stand against whatever it is you're standing against. Believing the words of God and not seeing the fruition of, of that, that promise. But God does. And there is an end point. Right? You, you don't know, there's a song uh, that's out and, and it says, uh, you may not know what the day brings, but you know who brings the day. It was written by this, this family, their, their mom was dying and, and that's something she would say. I don't know what the day's going to bring, whether it's going to be a good day, bad day, health-wise, but I know who brings the day. You don't know how long the storm is going to be, but you know who is the Lord of the storm. We can't control the storm. We can't determine its duration. We can't control its severity. All we can do is ask Jesus to do what only he can do. In, in the book of James, there's this <laughs> it's a super encouraging but kind of discouraging text if you take it seriously. He says in James chapter 1, verses 2 and following, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Okay, sounds good so far. When you meet trials of various kinds, I don't like that. For you know that the testing of your faith, please don't test my faith, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I wonder if, if John had been writing this, uh, w whether he might have adjusted this to kind of contextualize it from his home experience. I, I, I kind of thought about it, and, and I think it might have sounded like this. Count it all joy, my fellow sailors. When you meet storms of various kinds, for you know that trusting Jesus in the storm produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect that your faith may be strong. After the storm, Jesus teaches the disciples and the crowd that he comes to bring life. Not primarily physical life, but eternal life. And the disciples know that sometimes eternal life comes through a storm. But they also know that Jesus was with them in the storm. And, and so Peter is able to say, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Are you in a storm today? Have you, has your sight been overtaken by your circumstances? I would encourage you to invite Jesus into your boat. Trust Jesus, the Lord of the storm, and cling to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over our storms. Jesus, I thank you that you are the Lord of the storm, that the wind and the waves obey. And God, I pray that for those who are in the middle of stormy circumstances that they would put their trust in you that they'd be freshly encouraged to trust that you are with them that you will not forsake them that you will not leave them and for those who've never trusted in you lord i pray that you would grant them eternal life and faith and and that they would trust you 
and begin to follow you and discover that you are the Holy One of God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as, as Lord, as Savior, as the Deliverer, today is the day to trust Him, to stop trusting your own self to get through a storm, to turn away from everything you know to be sin and disobedience towards the God who made you, and to trust in Jesus, who lived a perfect life that you should have lived, died on the cross for our sake, and rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death. If that's you, if you want to trust Jesus today, I want you to put your hand up. It's not, it's not magic, but it's a, it's a way of responding to what God has done. Those of you who put your hands up, I want you to pray this with me. God, I, I recognize that I am a sinner. That means that I've, I've broken your rules and your laws, and I am incapable of making my life right. I'm incapable of correcting the things that I've broken. And I understand that I deserve punishment for these things. I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in your sacrifice on the cross and I trust in your, your, your defeat over sin, Satan, and death in your resurrection. God, I pray that you would help me to live a new life following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once your hand's up, you can put it back down. If you pray that prayer, we'd love to talk to you after service to help you figure out what it looks like to take the next steps of faith. Family, if you're in a storm, reach out, tell someone, pray with them, come down to the front and pray, and let's believe together that God's gonna meet you, amen? Love you, family.